May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Before we enter into reflection on today's appointed psalm, Psalm 121, a brief review of last week's homily will help, I hope, to jog our memories regarding the importance of the psalms. The psalms, as I said last week, are the heart of the Judeo-Christian tradition because they express the heartbeat of human longing and desire. The psalms express the full range of human emotion, from sheer joy to utter despair. The psalms stand at the heart of the relationship between God and humanity. For this reason, the psalms remain the first and the most important prayer book of the church. The psalms are at the heart of our Christian faith because they are the root of Jesus' own teaching and piety. As I suggested last week, ignorance of the Psalms is ignorance of Christ himself. Last week, in keeping with our Lenten focus upon silence and contemplation, I outlined for you the four questions of Lectio Divina, the ancient way of prayerfully reading and contemplating the Scriptures. These four questions that we ask of a scriptural text are, in order, one, what is said, or what am I reading, what am I hearing? Two, what does this text tell us about Jesus? Where do we see Jesus in the text? Number three, how does this tell me how I am to follow Jesus? What am I to do now? And question four, What does this text tell me about my future with Jesus? Where are we headed? This morning I'm going to reread Psalm 121 slowly again, and then I'm going to invite you to silently reflect on each of the questions with the prompts that I provide you to aid in your contemplation. I invite you to close your eyes during this reflection, And following this reflection, I'll offer some of my own reflections before concluding with a time of shared silent reflection as a congregation. Now, admittedly, this might be a little bit different than what you're used to, especially in a homily. And you might initially feel a little bit put off or uncomfortable or unsure of what this is all about. That's okay. That's actually to be expected. But I want to encourage you to try anyway and to open yourself to the experience and to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where is my help to come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, and he who watches over you will not fall asleep. Behold, he who keeps watch over Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand, so that the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. It is he who shall keep you safe. The Lord shall watch over your going out and your coming in, from this time forth forevermore. What images or words stand out to you? 
Sit now in silence with these images or words and hold them in thought. Where is God taking you with these images and words? Where is Jesus meeting you in this text? Where in Jesus' own life and ministry might we hear Jesus praying this psalm? How might this psalm affect a deeper walk with God? What is God calling you to do in response? Where does, the, where does this psalm invite you to find comfort? Where is the final and full source of your hope? To encourage your further reflection on this psalm in the week ahead, I now offer some of my own reflections and I want to invite you to reread this psalm once a day, maybe twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening, to reflect upon it further and, as the opportunity presents itself, to share your reflections with me or Reverend Sarah or another member of the parish. Psalm 121 is one of the so-called Psalms of Ascent. Psalms 120 to 124, 34, pardon me, comprise the collection of these Psalms of Ascent. These Psalms were the ones that were sung by the pilgrims on their way to the temple in Jerusalem. Now geographically, Jerusalem sits quite high above sea level, about 2,500 feet on average above sea level. And the Temple Mount is the highest place in the old part of the city. So pilgrims who were, at, who were heading to Jerusalem were literally ascending up to Jerusalem geographically, but they were also spiritually ascending well as well as they lifted up their hearts, as they lifted up their voices in praise and anticipation. We know that Jesus himself was one such pilgrim as a young boy and that he would have sung these same songs of ascent with the other pilgrims. And indeed, coming from Galilee as he would have, which is about 690 feet below sea level, the ascent to the temple would have been quite a dramatic trek upwards. Let us pause on the first verse of this psalm. Let us let the question of the psalmist sit with us as a standalone question. I lift my eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. This is quite a profound question when we think of it. We've all been there, haven't we? Arms turned up, heads upward, wondering, hopeless, desperate. God, why is this happening to me? God, are you even there and do you even care? Where is my help? 
It seems that our lives are often lived as an expression of this first verse's question. That this single verse can often encapsulate the entirety of our lives, especially when the storms of uncertainty and confusion rage around us. This question of the psalm hangs in the air, waiting for a response, something, anything, if only to let me know that I am being heard and that I'm not alone. Jesus knows this experience quite well. The Gospels each portray Jesus' own earthly journey as one of ascent, of a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Jesus knows what awaits him when he will reach his destination. This is not a joyful trip. It is one that asks him to sacrifice everything. How many times might Jesus have let this simple, single verse of Psalm 121 hang in his thoughts, seemingly unanswered. When Jesus is nearing the end of his earthly journey, the cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, continues to haunt our imaginations because it echoes the injustice of abandonment that we've all felt at one point or another. Jesus' arms on the cross are held wide open in a pose of desperation his voice ragged with pain and grief as he agonizingly lifts up his head to cry out to his father, Where is my help? The victory of Easter seemed impossible on Good Friday. Everything seemed hopeless. Dejected and robbed of their courage and depleted of their faith, Jesus' disciples begin to despair. What are we going to do now? Did God truly abandon us? Is all our hope gone? Is hope even possible? Yes, we do have hope, even in the face of suffering. But in order to see and to understand this hope, we must lift up our eyes to the cross. You see, Jesus did not come to explain away suffering or to even remove suffering. Jesus came to fill suffering with his presence. Because of Christ, human suffering can have a cruciform, that is a cross-based shape. Our suffering is not empty and meaningless because of the cross. God is not unaware or indifferent to our suffering. Though God cannot suffer in himself, it is through Jesus Christ that God can suffer with us. This means that as Christians, we not only experience and interpret all our various forms of suffering in the light of Jesus, our risen head, but we also realize that he too, as our head, continues to suffer with us, his body. In other words, our suffering can only find meaning and hope in the light of the good news of the cross. All other human attempts to explain away or remove suffering are indeed truly hopeless. All is truly hopeless if God is dead or sleeping on the job. One of the things that stands out to me about Psalm 121 is the repetition about sleep. Did you notice it? It gets mentioned three or four times. One of the things about what it means to be human is that we sleep. Sleep is necessary for our health. 
No one can go too long for sleep without sleep, for too long without feeling consequences. Anyone who's a new parent or struggles with insomnia will tell you that a lack of sleep is an awful thing that no amount of caffeine can ever cure. But sleep also leaves us vulnerable in many ways, which is why sleep is called death's little brother. To sleep is human, but so is dying. God, on the other hand, as the psalmist reminds us, does not require sleep, and death has no hold on God. This is good news for us mortals, who both sleep and die, because it means that even in our sleep and even in our death, we belong to God, the God who watches and keeps us. Falling asleep is an act of faith. In sleep and its vulnerabilities, we are turning ourselves over to the care of God. I am reminded of Jesus' own sleep in the world, of Jesus asleep in the stern of the boat while the storms of the Sea of Galilee raged about him. The disciples, of course, panicked, frantically waking Jesus up from his nap, only to find themselves chided for their lack of faith. It's such an ironic, yet even a lovely scene. Jesus sleeping in the middle of a storm without a care in the world because he trusted himself fully, totally, and completely to the care of his heavenly Father. Jesus knows our own human need for sleep, but he also shows us what faith can look like. Faith is not naivety, and it is not wishful thinking in the midst of chaos. Faith is simply receiving and resting in God's care and provision, of knowing that we belong to God in life and in death, even amidst storms, uncertainty, and confusion. Easier said than done? Perhaps. But then again, perhaps not. From the hill of Golgotha, the victory of Easter was impossible until it happened. I lift my eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, who died and rose again, that I might ascend to be with him now and forever. <laughs>